Genesis 49 and verse 8. Now we're right at the moment of of Jacob's passing. Jacob's about to die. He's offering blessings and proclamations to each of his sons. Some of them are are adverse, a curse. Some of them are profitable. Some of them, in fact, almost all of them are based upon where they have been or what they have done, except for Judah. It's prophetic. And Jacob says these words to his son Judah at the time of his, near his passing. He said, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Of course, Jacob's speaking in a prophetic term. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him or wake him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means, among other things, sent. (laughs) And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine. And his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Judah. I've come here with a purpose today. We call it the unction or the provoking, the moving of the Spirit. So the Spirit, I've come with the unction of the Spirit. And I'll let you join in if you want. I must praise. preach this to myself I already did several times I don't need to say it again I'm ready to respond to what I already know but for the sake of your time and in hopes that possibly it would help your life I'll wait for my response until you hear what I heard I must praise I've got to praise. (laughs) 
in Jesus' name. Fathers and daughters share a unique bond. And so the text that I'm going to present to you gives me pause when considering the love or the dysfunction of a father and daughters. There's a man named Laban. He has two daughters, Rachel and Leah. He wants them to be married for multiple reasons. He's ready for them to be married and he will go to great extent and of course deception to make that happen. There's a contrast in Genesis 29 and 17. I didn't read it to you yet. It's consistent in all countries and cultures and peoples and lands. Regardless of intent or personality or kindness, those two daughters were different. There's a contrast between them. Leah was the oldest daughter and she was not pretty. Maybe to exasperate the problem, Rachel, the Bible says, was lovely in form. (laughs) The scripture does not present some ideological philosophy and it's certainly not bent to the cultural norms of our day. It's just plain and forthright. Leah was not desirable, but Rachel was beautiful. If you had to pick between the two sisters to ask out on a date, the decision was pretty simple, especially if you didn't know who they were. You always pick the pretty one. And in that chapter of Genesis 29, verse 17, it makes the contrast in no uncertain terms. And to further emphasize the matter, the next line of the Bible says this, and I quote, And Jacob loved Rachel. I'll put it in succession. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. And here's the next line. Jacob loved Rachel. He was in love with Rachel. I wish there were more revelations in the scripture. It would be nice if we could stumble upon something that was unknown, like the discovery of a new thought or a new territory. But the fact of the matter is that as long as there have been genders... Two, in fact. One is always after the other. (laughs) Jacob was looking for a bride. Or as we often like to say, a favorite friend. And Jacob probably is still superficial and carnal. He falls in love with Rachel. Doesn't really know who she is, I suppose. There's no real indication that he knew her very well. She's pretty. The Bible says that she is easy on the eyes. So given the word and other immature emotions of Jacob's most recent actions, I'm not attributing some well-thought-out desire for a woman of character. The truth is that Rachel was easy to fall in love with in a superficial way because she was a beautiful woman with a lovely form. They probably said the same thing that so many other young people say when they want to get married. We were meant for each other. Clueless. Marriage is a choice of the greatest magnitude. And I suppose that there are many requirements, not the least of which is that she should not marry him 
unless he has some character and a job. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) It'd be good, young ladies, if the guy you like has a job. That's a novel idea today. If they're in between jobs, it means they don't work. (laughs) In between is a fancy term for, I play video games. You might be surprised how often it happens. They think that they'll live on love. Love, shmove. It won't pay for bread and milk. I don't know what Paul McCartney was talking about. I don't know what his angle was when he said, money can't buy me love, but at least money can pay the electric bill, Paul. (laughs) Jacob fell in love with Rachel, but Rachel's father Laban is not content with that. Laban, in the most destructive and detrimental way, will plot to marry off both Leah and Rachel in one single motion. Laban was so afraid that no one would want Leah that on the wedding night he plotted to have Leah take Rachel's place by deceiving Jacob. These verses are a stark reality of a dysfunctional family to say the least. I know that the story showcases some shallow thoughts but it's obvious that Leah has been passed by. The young men would rather choose the pretty one than the ugly one. That's natural. I'm sorry. I don't want to offend anybody. That's your Bible. If the choice is between a 1970 AMC Gremlin or a new Cadillac Escalade, go figure. Let's see. Mm. Gremlin, Escalade. Gremlin, Escalade. If you have the choice between a QVC, buy one, get one free, 100% cubic zirconian or zirconian or a Tiffany Select Diamond. Mm. I wonder. Two for $39.99 for free. It's a pretty easy choice. Even the Bible does not put Leah in a good light. The scripture does not put her in a good light. Leah just didn't get the good genes that were handed on to her younger sister. And regardless of her personality or work ethic or outward appearance, it did not match the inward and she was passed over. So the night of the honeymoon under the cloak of darkness, beautiful Rachel was replaced by weak-eyed Leah. And the next morning, Jacob woke up to find out that he had married the wrong sister. And that was a bad morning for Jacob. Your Bible says that he worked for seven years for the hand of Rachel. He labored for relentless, he labored relentlessly a task. He labored for his father-in-law to be in order to obtain the love of his life, he thought. But in the morning, much to his chagrin, he had married the weak-eyed sister Leah. I would have you notice that Jacob consented to work for another seven years for for Rachel. So that in all, Jacob worked 14 years for the right to have Rachel. But he never worked one day for Leah. And Leah knew it. He never put in one minute to have Leah as his wife. She was excess baggage. She was part of the package. From those who dissected the statement that sometimes you have to take the good with the bad, she was the bad. Here is the scripture, Genesis 29 and 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven years more. Another seven years. To be fair, Jacob never wanted Leah 
He never asked for Leah's hand. But Leah so desperately wanted him. She wanted him to love her. Every day she woke up, she wanted him to love her. To pay attention to her in some way. Every day she lived, she wanted to be recognized by him as his wife. She knew who she was. She knew her low place in the hierarchy of the family. But wouldn't it be so great if my husband cared a little bit for me? Rachel was accepted. Rachel had all the compliments. Rachel was the favored wife. She had intimacy. Leah did not. And perhaps there would have been no future relationship between Jacob and Leah had Rachel been able to have sons right away. But Rachel was barren for the greater part of her life. Leah's life was lived in desperation for the affection and attention of her husband Jacob. And she looked to the Lord for help in her time of rejection and pain. She said, if I can just bear my husband a son, it'll fix my problems. In context of those days and that culture, sons were the most prized possession that anyone could have. More than land or gold, sons brought worth and significance to a man. Even the measure of a father was seen by the number of his sons. And so Leah prayed to the Lord to bear Jacob a son. She thought that if she could do this, her life would finally be complete and Jacob would accept her because up until this time, Jacob had two wives but no sons. And when Leah finally conceived, you would have thought that Jacob would have been so happy with her. Genesis 29, 32. This is her first child. She conceived. She bare a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, sure Surely the Lord had looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Leah thought her husband was going to love her. She had a need. And when she had her firstborn son, she said, The Lord has fulfilled my need. Her need was to be loved and recognized by her husband. She needed to be accepted by him. But it didn't work. He didn't do it. She was not accepted. Jacob did not recognize her. So again, the Bible says in the next verse, She conceived again. She bare another son. Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated. He hath therefore given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. So she had a second son. And now she said, not only did the Lord fulfill my need, but now he knew I needed some emotional support because I was hated. So he called, she called his name Simeon. But the second son did not provide her the emotional support she wanted from Jacob. So she conceived again a third son. She bare a son and said, now this time my husband will be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi. Leah had a third son and when she had that next child she called him Levi for she said my husband will be attacked to me. He'll join with me. I've given him three sons. He's going to be a wealthy man. She thought the first son would would make him love her and be accepted by her husband. She thought the second son would give her emotional support by her husband. And she thought the third, third son would make her connected to her husband. All of it. Love, acceptance, support, recognized, approval. All of those colossal needs, however, fell to the ground. Nothing that she sought for from Jacob came true. She needed an answer from the Lord in the amount of a son and God gave it. She received it. But it did not change the heart of her husband. Maybe Leah thought that Jacob would treat her better 
than her father had treated her. Her father used the tool of deception just to get her married off. Nothing was in order in her life. Nothing was as it should be. And now after three sons and several years passing, Leah was still left empty and lonely and undone. Three sons would make Jacob a wealthy and respected man among all the people. And they came from Leah. Not from Rachel, but her pursuit of her husband's approval and affection was shattered with each of her, of her sons. All of her efforts failed. I'll have Reuben. He'll, he'll respect me. My worth is here. He'll love me. I'll have Simeon. He'll support me. I'll have Levi. He'll approve of me. He'll give me a place beside him. None of it worked. And Jacob still saw Leah as a less attractive secondary. He still saw Leah as a wedding night deception. Jacob still loved Rachel, the beautiful wife, more than the lowly Leah. Leah just couldn't compete with that kind of beauty. And there it is right there. When all things fail and our attempts to gain footing falls, when our best efforts lay empty on the heap of intentions and prayers that are answered, but really the things are not fixing our lives, there is a decision to be made, and I'm standing here to make my own decision among all of you. Here and now is where many people, and dare I say the majority of Christians and members, lose heart and make the wrong move. When we are in the mire of this life, and everything we do to fix our situation does not work, that is when we come to the crossroads of this very decision. You can resign yourself. And say you gave it your best shot. And then fade back into the shadows never to be seen again. You can become angry when things don't turn out the way you hoped that they would turn out. Angry at the response of people. Or even bitter at the lack of support or recognition that you thought you would get for all of your efforts. Trust me, it's easy to become angry and bitter. You can isolate yourself and close up, become cold and indifferent to everyone, everyone when things are not working on your behalf. All of it and more happens at that crossroad, at the crossroad right here today. Leah was standing right there at that crossroad. A decision had to be made. Her best efforts were for naught. But what she did in the moment of that crossroad, not only is one of the scripture's most powerful lessons, but it changed the course of history and mankind. All those years of seeking for approval had fallen short. All of her prayers, seeking God for an answer to please Jacob had come and gone. But she made a turn that resulted in something that speaks to us right here in this hour. Even in this house today. Leah made a decision. She made a thought, a conscious decision, a cognitive decision. She resolved within herself that even if God answered, but the answer didn't fix the problem. Even if her emotions were never really supported. Even if she didn't find approval from her father or her husband. If no one saw her for who she was. If no one took the time to look past her superficial flaws. No one gave her support or approval. Leah was going to do this. She was going to praise the Lord. I must praise. She was changing her focus from pleasing people to praising God. I must praise. 
when we stop worrying about gaining the approval of everybody else and start being concerned with praising and worshiping God. I'm standing here to tell you, your life is going to change. We might even change the course of history when we change our focus from grumbling and complaining to praising God. There comes a crossroad in your life when what you have done before will not and has not worked. And that is the pivot point when you must praise. That's the moment when you must refocus what you're doing and why you're doing it and realizing that touching Jesus is all that really matters. That praising the Lord is the only thing worth the effort in this life. I'm standing up here to tell you that if you start praising God, it'll bring you greater satisfaction than all the recognition of all the people that surround you and all the things you've been fighting for all of your life. They're going to fail. They're going to crumble. But praising God is the only thing that's worth your effort. Leah had limitations in life. It crippled her ability to gain what she thought she needed. And limitations are not confined to an outward appearance. There are limitations in our minds. There's limitations in our heart. There's limitations in emotions, ability, health, and beyond. Even limitations in your upbringing. People that have been brought up with dysfunctional families and homes. Men and women that are now grown in their older age still dealing with the words and the hurts and the pains of fathers and mothers and rejection we all have our limitations and those limitations can ground us they can keep us they can make us cold and indifferent and angry and bitter and now you've got to make a decision the decision that Leah made was that when she had a fourth child while the names of the first three were in hopes to gain something she lacked the fourth name was a decision of focus the fourth child gave grace hear me The fourth child gave grace and coverage to the first three children. The fourth had a name that would save the whole family. And it always reminds me the fourth of the Hebrew boys, the Hebrew sons in a fiery furnace. When the king looked inside, he thought he was going to kill them. But he looked inside, he saw them walking around a fiery furnace that should have consumed them. And he said, didn't we cast in three? But I see a fourth and he looks like the son of God. Because the fourth gives coverage and grace to whatever has come before. And Leah had a fourth son. And I'll read it to you. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, which means praise and left bearing. That means I'm not having any more kids. I'm ending it right here. I've stopped pleasing everybody else. And I'm going to have my final one. I'm going to name him praise. She named her fourth son Judah, which means praise. And if you're a student of the Bible, you'll note this is the first time in the Bible that we read the word or the derivative of the word praise. Worship has been used many times before, but it wasn't until Leah decided to focus on the Lord that praise came into the being of the Holy Writ. Jacob didn't see her worth. He He didn't support her emotionally. He did not attach himself to her. So Leah said this time, instead of trying to please him or them or cover my past I must praise I 
know I'm preaching to a group of people in here today. So many of you are stuck in a mire. So many people are struggling and your efforts are not giving you the results. But I'm standing up here to say, if you will praise and change your focus, God will return to you what you cannot give to yourself. So just join me a little bit. We got to praise him. Open up your mouth and just say, I praise you, Lord. Not because of what has happened, but because of, because of the blessings of you, of you, of your life, of your hand. <sighs> Come on, out of your mouth right now, praise him. Out of your mouth, praise him. Praise him. All your efforts are gone. They're done. Praise him. seated for a moment but when you get down just clap your hands again to the Lord because you got to praise him open up when you're seated don't stand up just when you're seated and say I praise you Lord I'm praising you I'm praising you I'm praising you here pastor today humanity never looks so good to God as when they begin to praise their creator you don't have an outfit in your closet that makes you look better than praising the Lord Nothing makes you look so good that when you're, than, than when you are praising the Lord. Cause David wrote in Psalm 33, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise makes the upright look good. Praise makes you look beautiful. Praise makes you look desirable. Nothing looks so good to God. Sometimes you just have to praise the Lord. Like Leah refocusing her paradigm. I've tried everything else. It's time to stop trying. Praise God. I stand to say in this moment. I must praise. Maybe you can relate. I do not know if you can relate. But I must praise. I was dreaming this. In my sleep all night. My brain was quoting scriptures. I woke up at 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. I must praise because I'm weary trying to please people who have no intention on being pleased I've come to praise him I'm probably not going to please anybody if you're looking for me to answer your questions and please you I'm probably not going to be able to do it even though I try so I just come to praise him I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. Please help me. But I'm weary trying to be accepted by people who just can't say anything good or accept anything about me. I'm tired of it. I just got to get in this house and praise God. It's time for me to praise. I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to have a... I don't want you to be disillusioned. I know I'm anointed, so don't get worried. But I've lost friends and family. And I've lost pieces of myself over the years. But I never lost my praise. 
and I wish my sister-in-law would get up here and sing pretty soon. I never lost my praise. I've lost a lot of things, but I never lost my praise. I've lost a lot of friends, but I never lost my praise. I've lost my strength, but I never lost my praise. you do you don't lose your praise come on you can be disillusioned you can try your best effort you may never be accepted but don't lose your praise don't lose your clapping don't lose your shouting don't lose your dancing don't lose your step don't lose all that stuff don't lose your praise I grew up in a little country church. Mom and dad just followed the pattern that they knew. We didn't have fancy screens or overheads. We had songbooks, but the songbooks were kind of boring. We liked the song service where they would play courses. Back in those days, they played the course over and over and over again. We played three songs for 45 minutes and didn't have verses. Now, I'm not making fun of it because I'm going to tell you what. We had a Holy Ghost. We repeated the lines. They were easy to memorize. You didn't need a screen. We went from songbooks to overhead projectors. And somebody had to... Somebody had to... uh, Xerox the words on a... On a blank... uh, Transparency. Thank you. Sometimes the words weren't spelled correctly. Spelled correctly. So... You just take a little marker right there on the screen, just mark it out and put the right spelling. God forbid if they picked a song we hadn't sung in a while, the person who was changing the transparencies had to dig through the box. We went from there to having a TV screens on the walls. All the churches had TV screens. I'm not talking about flat screens. I'm talking about 300 pound TVs with beveled edges where the words would run out on the sides. It wasn't so long ago. My children must think that was the olden days. We saw a beeper the other day. Nico said, what in the world is that thing? <clears throat> I said, be quiet, be quiet. Let him, let him go, let him pass, let him pass. Some guy had a beeper still. I don't know if it worked. I said, that's where you call the number. Their number comes up and then you call them back. Mm-hmm. 
And we sang the song back in those days. I don't know what you came to do. But I came to praise the Lord. Now hold on a second. It's really not a worship song. In fact, it's almost an affront against all the inactive people in the church. It could even be a rebuke to all the spectators. In fact, I can remember two ladies in the church that sit on the right side and turn around when they started singing and they would sing it to their husband. I don't know what you came to do. Flip their little hair back and boom, there goes the rat. I came to praise the Lord. The rat was a, another name for yarn that they used to stick in their head. I don't know why. I don't know what you came to do. I know maybe the intent wasn't always good and sometimes it was. But I see it as a declaration. I came to praise the Lord. I see it as a shift in my decision. I didn't come to this place just to be accepted or recognized by all the people. I came to praise him. I'd love to have some emotional support. But my strength never ever came from the words of people. It came from the voice of God. I, I see the song, the lyric, as not a rebuttal against you. But just as a declarative of what I've come to do. And not your intention. Because whether you praise him or not, I'm not sure why. But i got to tell you what I've come here for. I came to praise him. I must praise him. I've got to praise him. All my efforts are they're shattered. I've come to praise him. I don't know why you're here, but I'll tell you why I'm here. It doesn't matter to me why you're here. I've got to tell you why I'm here. Hear me. Judah is a decision that we make not based upon the outcome or the present or the results of the past. Judah comes when we say, now I must praise the Lord. Hear me when I tell you, when everything else fails, praise God. When you are at the end of your rope, throw your hands up and praise God. When you tried everything else and nothing works, praise God. When you feel rejected and alone and unrecognized and unappreciated, praise God. When you, here pastor, when you are without love, praise God. When there's no reciprocation, praise God. When you give without return, praise God. When you work without reward, praise God. When you do everything you can and everything fails, praise God. When you're done, praise God. When you're struggling, praise God. Hear me. I, I ask this question. When are you going to start praising God? Hear it. When are you going to start praising God? In the middle of your struggle. Here's a second. Why are you always waiting for the victory to praise him? Has he ever failed you? Why are you always waiting for a resolution to praise him? Why are you always waiting for someone to pat you on the back and love you and accept you for you to praise him? Why are you waiting for the end of the thing to be over before you praise him? Isn't he worthy enough to praise him in the middle of your conflict, in the middle of your struggle? I will tell you right now, if you'll just stop waiting for the result to come in and praise him. 
I'm making praise the capstone of my faith. Hear the word today. Psalm 22. But thou art Lord. You're holy. Oh, thou that lives in the praises of Israel. He lives in the praises of his people. Praise not only builds a house for the Lord to dwell, but it puts me in his presence at the same time. Praise is the calling card of the Lord God of hosts. Praise, according to Second Chronicles 20, is my weapon against the enemy of depression and anxiety. It makes the enemy flee. As the writer wrote, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated as they began to sing and to praise. Because praise is not just about thanking him for what he has done. It's about thanking him for what you believe he will do. I must praise. I'm not praising him today. Because everything is right in my world. I'm praising to set it right. I'm not praising because the conditions have all worked in my favor. I'm praising because I've chosen with my brain, my mind, to focus on the one who never fails. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And if you read through Psalm 34, you're going to find out the Lord surrounds people that the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but nothing's going to be lacked in the house of God before you ever get to doing all of that and receiving all of that. And then the final one is about sacrifice and praise and repentance before you can be strengthened and forgiven. You start with this. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Here's, here's Matthew chapter 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judah. <laughs> Which is odd because there's many sons. Well, who was the Messiah? Jesus is the mighty God in Christ. He was reconciling the world back unto himself, the Bible says. Everything you ever needed came from Jesus. But Jesus did not come from the lineage of Rachel, the beautiful wife. The lineage of Jesus does not mention Rachel or any of her sons as closely related by nature as Joseph was to Jesus in typology. Joseph was not in the lineage of Jesus. So where did Jesus come from? Not from the pretty-eyed mama. Not from the favored sons. Not from Joseph. He came from the tribe of Judah. Because the derivative of your praise holds all the answers to your life. He's going to come through your praise. I'm going to tell you where I'm standing right here. I'm standing in need of joy. I deal with all the issues, but I'm standing in need of joy. It's time for me to have some joy. I don't know what you came to do, but I came to get joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I know how I get joy. I come through praising Him. (laughs) 
Here, Pastor, now. Some of the things you desperately want, they don't want you. You want them, they don't want you. You're going to tell me you need them. They don't, they don't feel the same. You want that person. You need that person. You convinced yourself. You'll do whatever to get. They don't want you. So you got to decide. You're going to keep trying to be accepted by the world and by people. Or are you going to praise God? Because the fact of the matter is, you can't do both. Why don't you turn your attention to getting in this house and praising the Lord? I got a little secret for you. Praise is not going to make you look right. It's going to usher in a new day of joy and strength in your daily life. I'll end here, but I'm not done. I'm just ending. This is a long ending. Mm-hmm. Genesis 49, 29. See, after a while, most people grow up. Not all. Huh. I'm befuddled. Not all grow up. Some are ignorant when they're 20 and they're ignorant decades later. Some are mean when they're 30 and they're vicious and mean when they're 60. They don't all grow up. Some think it's all about them before they have children and they never lose that feeling. Some think their marriage is all about making them happy and then after they have kids, they're still wondering if they're happy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some people think that when they come to church, they've got to be fed. The reason why they got to be fed is because they never read their Bible on Monday. They're waiting for me to read a text on Sunday. Because it's all about them. They never grow up. Some think that they're here to be served. Because they never read the scripture. Where Jesus served. Some people think they want to be a minister. But ministry actually means serving. So they have no idea what ministry means. <laughs> Someone has even said, I like the spirit but I'm not into volunteering, which means they like the bread and the wine, but they don't like the foot washing. I don't think there's anybody like that here, but if there is, just it's time for you to grow up. Or like we used to say when we were kids, get a life. Yeah. See, after a while... Walking with the Lord should produce some maturity in you. Until finally you know. I don't come just because I'm pleased. I come because I support. Oh man. We, we've created a spiritual welfare in the church. We want someone to be paid to be spiritual. So the rest of the people can be carnal. Doesn't work like that, of course. You have to have a walk with God. In fact, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means you ought to give great sobriety to your walk with God more than any other part of your life. If you're an exercise fanatic, you should be exercising your Holy Ghost every day more than the treadmill. If you if you're on the other end of the spectrum and cheesecake factory, 
is your home away from home. You should be eating the word. And they got some great cheesecake. Now I made myself hungry. Finally, after all those years of having two wives and 12 sons and countless grandsons, Jacob finally grows up. And we know he did. Because he's about to die. And after all the blessings, some declarations and the prophetic word, and a few horrible things that he repeated to his sons that were evil and wicked, he turns to his son, Joseph. And he gave him instructions. And he said, and I read from Genesis 49, I'm about to be gathered to my people. I'm about to die. So bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. That's where the lineage was going to be buried. Specifically, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan, which my grandfather Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. Verse 31. There Abraham and Sarah were buried. Isaac and Rebekah was buried. That's where I buried Leah. Bury me with Leah. He wasn't buried with the pretty one. He was buried with the one who produced praise. Because at some moment you grow up and you finally say, if I'm going to be anywhere, I'm going to be with the one who produces praise. If I'm going to do anything, I'm going to join myself with people who praise God. know what everyone else came to do but I came to praise him I need to praise him I've come to lift my hands and rejoice with him I came to dance before the Lord I came to wave my hands before God I come to shut out everything else and everybody else and praise him I've come to speak his name Jesus I come to magnify him his praise shall continually be on my mouth my soul shall make her boast in the Lord the humble shall hear thereof and be glad <laughs> Praise is my weapon of choice that makes war against all the spirits that attack me. Praise is my defense against all the anxieties and depression of my life. Praise is when I magnify God and suddenly I'm building him a room here and a ceiling there. I'm building him a door here. Come on in, Lord. If I can get around him, I know everything's going to be all right. Praise is when I decide I love you, but I need him. I care about you but he is my helper in the time of my need I came to praise the Lord 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 I've got to praise him I must praise him I've got to praise him 
yes, yes. Now in conflict, those of you who are in conflict, pain, issues, problems, praise him right now. Just praise him. Everyone who is in the mire and you are struggling and you're not afraid to admit that, you start to praise him right now. Don't wait till the results are in. Praise him right now. Praise him. Praise him. I give you praise. I give you praise. I worship you, Lord, for the mighty things you have done. I worship you, Lord, for the mighty things you have done. I praise you in your house. I praise you in the field. I praise you with instruments. I praise you with my voice. I praise you with a hand clap. I praise you. Come on, all the people. Just for a moment, pause on trying to get the result and start praising God. Just pause. Pause on trying to produce something that fixes your problem and start praising Him. You need a Judah experience right now. You need a Judah moment right now. Yes, whatever expression you have, praise him with your mouth, praise him with your hands, praise him with your body. You are meant to praise him, you are made to praise him. Here, Pastor. Here, Pastor, now. There is a time to pray for the need. I am not discrediting that. But some folks have spent their entire life seeking God for an answer. They never considered to stop and just praise God because of what he has already done and what he can do. I'm not telling you not to ask God for the needs. This is what the scripture that Brother Grant read to us today, that we come with thanksgiving and making our petitions known. But hear the word. You come with prayer and supplication, with thanks, which is the Greek word has multiple different derisions for that. Praise, with praise. But if you always are asking... And you're never praising. You're leaving a vital part out. Lord, I'm thanking you now. Because you kept me today. I praise you now, Lord. Because through all the ups and downs, you've been good to me. I praise you, Lord, for the mighty works of your hands. I praise you, Lord, for the sky, the galaxies that you spoke into existence and you breathe the breath of life into me. I praise you, God. I give thanks and praise today for the building we have. Thank you, Lord, for that. And for the houses we have. And for the cars we drove today. I thank you, Lord. Praise God for the jobs that are represented here. I thank you for that. I give you praise, God, for saving marriages and lives and children in this house. I praise you, Lord. She didn't say... 
Thank you, Lord, for my husband that rejected me. She didn't say, I praise you, Lord, for my father who taught me deception and who belittled me and who forced me into a situation that would scar me for the rest of my life. She didn't look comely on the outside, but there was a fierce desire and integrity on the inside. And she grew up before all of them did. Because she went through conflict and she found out that nobody was going to give her approval or affection or love and connection. And so she finally said, I'm going to praise God. I'll tell you what that fourth baby's going to be. That fourth baby's going to have nothing to do with my husband. I love him. I'd like to have him. I'd like for him to even wink at me once in a while. But he ain't doing it. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to start doing this. My memory's fading me now. But I went down to my wife. I said, Tammy, I pointed out somewhere in the church. I said, they're worshiping. They're praising God. It was, it's wonderful. Look how much joy. I said, did the answer come that they were praying for? Because I was confused. And she said, oh, no, honey. No. They're still in a world of hurt. I wish that all of your friends and family would get terribly confused. I wish they would think that you're responding to an answered prayer when in reality you've left the problem alone for a little bit and you decided I'm not praising for or against what's happened before but I'm praising him because of what he has done and you just confuse everybody and say I've come to praise him I don't know what everybody else came to do just right now do it you know what to do do it here's your moment to praise him 